0: Acts chapter 9, verse 32, just a couple of verses, and it says that it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. Now, if it's talking about saints, it's talking about believers. In other words, um, we don't know of, uh, of a church that, uh, that existed there. It's possible that there was. I assume there's some kind of assembly that's, uh, that's taking place there. But we're talking about disciples. We're talking about people that are already born again. Verse 33, and there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. So he's had palsy, which is a creeping paralysis, and uh, this paralysis has kept him bedfast for eight years. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise and make thy bed, and he arose immediately. Now I want you to notice that word maketh thee whole, where it says, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. That word maketh literally means to heal or to make whole. It's not an incorrect translation. But most of the time, the, the um, uh, well, it's the um, Strong's Concordance says it's the middle voice of a primitive verb or primary verb, excuse me. And most of the time that this word is used, it's used in the past tense. For example, in um, Luke chapter 14, verse 4, it said, and they held their peace and he took him and healed him and let him go. Luke 22, verse 20, 51, and Jesus answered and said, uh, suffer ye thus far? And he touched his ear and healed him. Acts twenty eight eight And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. Um, in um, John 5, verse 13, it says, talking about the man at the pool of Bethesda, And he that was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Another time that it says... Um, Luke 17 verse 15 talking about the ten lepers and one of them when he saw that he was healed turned back and with a loud voice glorified God so sometimes it talks about healing in the present tense and other times it talks about healing in the past tense literally these are the same words it's the same Greek phrase that Peter writes to the church where it says in 1st Peter two twenty four, 24 um, who, who his own self and a bearer of sins in his body on the tree by whose stripes you were healed. It's the same exact phrase. Maketh thee whole literally is translated in First Peter two twenty four, and by his stripes you were healed. So what is he saying? The thing that I want to get across to you is that Peter is talking about something that has already happened. He's not saying Jesus is here to heal you. He said Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. In other words, he's already paid the price for your healing. Now notice there's no mention of of a transfer of power. There's no mention whatsoever of a feeling. On Peter's part or Aeneas' part, it says very simply that Peter declared something that already belonged to Aeneas because of the work of Jesus, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, because of the stripes that he took upon his back. He said, Jesus healed you, literally. Arise, take up your bed, and he arose immediately. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 14. Let me show you another example of this. It's talking about Paul and his company in the region of uh, Lystra and Derbe, the cities of Galatia. Verse 7, and there they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent at his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, who, steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet, and he leaped and walked. Now let me ask you a question. What is the gospel? The word gospel means good news. Now, if we were there in Lister or in any other town here or anywhere else, and we were preaching the gospel, now, now there's, a, there's a difference in what the Bible identifies as the gospel and what the modern-day church thinks of as the gospel. If the modern-day church is talking about the gospel, they're talking about preaching that Jesus died for your sins. And that's certainly part of it. There's no question that that's a part of the sacrifice of Jesus. We might even argue that it's the most important part Actually, it's all in one. There's not one part and another part. It's all inclusive. It's an all-inclusive term. It's an all-inclusive sacrifice of Jesus. But we wouldn't say Jesus is here to save you. Would we? If we were preaching Jesus, preaching what the modern-day church considers to be the gospel, would we preach that Jesus is here to save you? Or would we preach that Jesus went to the cross for your salvation? In other words, a work was already done. The good news is that it's a completed work. Not that God will do something tonight to save you. Now, we might use that in in terminology, but in strictest sense, in the strictest sense of what has happened and how it works, salvation is the receiving of what Jesus has already done. Jesus doesn't save anybody today. Jesus saved everybody on the cross. We just receive that salvation for ourselves. We receive the finished work of Jesus by believing in our heart and saying, confessing him as Lord and Savior, right? So where it says they preach the gospel, it's talking about the fact that it's the good news is because it's a finished work. Because if it's not a finished work, there's no good news. Because how do you know God's going to do the work? Where's the good news in that? There might be hope. There might be a rolling of the dice or a chance that God will do something for you. But the good news is the fact that it's already been done. Right, And notice the good news of what was already accomplished caused the man to have faith to be healed. So Peter, I'm sorry, Paul in this case, seeing that the man had faith to be healed, perceiving that he had faith to be healed. What does that mean? That means that he accepted the reality of what Jesus had done for his physical body. What else could it mean? He accepted that the finished work of Jesus included healing for the physical body. Paul, perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet, and he leaped and walked. Notice there's no mention of a transfer of power. Notice there's no mention of a feeling on Paul's part or the crippled man's part. He just leaped up and walked. In both cases, something penetrated the veil of flesh. This sense realm where in both cases, both men could see that they couldn't walk. Both men could see that from a physical standpoint, from a physical perspective, from the sense realm, they were unable to walk, yet both of them did. What pierced that? What pierced that? Something reached through the veil of the flesh. Something reached through this physical realm into the spiritual realm where the Bible says Jesus has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Well, what do those spiritual blessings include? For both of these men, it includes healing. Well, if it includes for healing for them, it'd have to include healing for us, because Jesus paid the same price for everybody. Right? So something reached through the veil, something reached through the sense realm into another realm, a spiritual realm where the blessing of healing lies. What was that? It was faith. But faith is always based on knowledge. Faith which came through the knowledge. Of the reality of healing. That was theirs. Turn back with me to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. F.F. Bosworth has got a teaching. It's in his book Christ the Healer. It's one of the best things I've ever read. It's. um, uh, I think the, the name of the chapter. Is the faith it takes. And he talks about healing, or he talks about uh, faith. Certainly, he was a, a, a minister that ministered healing to um, uh, over well, several hundred thousands of people were documented to have been healed in his meetings. And he had there are pictures in the the book Christ the Healer where back in the uh, the 40s and and uh, uh, the 50s and and even before that, he was quite an older man, uh, 30s, 40s, and 50s. He would have uh, uh, healing campaigns and stuff and uh, sometimes they were tents but other times they were auditoriums city auditoriums and there were tens of thousands of people that would show up these things there'd be people that they'd have to turn away because they they couldn't get everybody inside and so over the years there were hundreds of thousands of people that were documented as having been healed by the power of God so and he was a teacher he didn't have any special healing anointing that he ever claimed or or recognized or um you know, there's no time that Jesus ever appeared to him and said, I've given you a special anointing to minister to the sick or anything like that. He just simply taught the word. So hundreds of thousands of people, several hundred thousands of people received their healing just through the knowledge of God's word. He was just a simple teacher. I, I heard a little uh, uh, clip, just a little five minute clip of uh, of him teaching on tape and it was transferred over to digital form and, and uh, uh, it's. I was really excited to get it because it was right at the end of his life and he lived to, you know, his late 80s and went home to be with the Lord. Didn't die with sickness or disease or heart attack or anything like that. He just breathed his last breath and said goodbye to his family and went home. And um, uh, so I was really excited to hear his, his preaching and I was just sure he's going to have this loud booming voice and, and, you know, the rafters would shake when he spoke the word of God. And, and he sounds just like a normal person. Shocked me. Like I said it was nothing like I was expecting you know we get these we build up these ideas of what people must have been like that did great exploits and I guess I'd done the same thing but I heard his voice and and of course the recording was was old and so there was it was real tinny you know uh, old timey sounding and stuff like that but he's just simple guy didn't speak with any power he didn't or at least no no power that was noticeable in uh, what he said he just simply told the truth of the word just simply spoke the truth of the word. Well, anyway, he takes Mark 11, chapter 11, verse 24. Let me read it to you. Jesus said, therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And he said this. He makes this statement. He said, obviously, the blessings of God are being spoken of in two forms. Because God requires of us that we believe that we have received them. Believe that we have received them. In other words, God requires of us that when you pray, you believe it's yours and it shall be yours. But it shall not be yours until first you believe it's already yours. So he said, by, of necessity, by definition, the blessings of God occur in two or exist in two different forms. First, we have to believe that we have received them in their invisible form. In order for them to pass through or pierce through into this sense realm, the physical realm, into visible form. Now the question I have for mankind is, for you and me, for anybody, in what form are they most real? And see, this is a real test of faith. If somebody says, well, it's real when I see it. The Bible says that faith is the evidence of things not seen. I remember some years ago, it's been about 20 years ago now, or, or even more than that. Uh, yeah, it's been almost 30 years ago. There was uh, uh, someone that I was acquainted with who wasn't really a friend. He was uh, several years older than I. But uh, he was a man of wealth. He had been successful in business, and God had blessed him. And, uh, and he had purchased some property in, in uh, uh, Colorado, I think it was, somewhere near one of the ski resorts. And um, uh, I was when I was still working with Brother Hagen, and uh, so he came in and, and uh, just kind of announced it to Brother Hagen, who's a friend of his. And so he said, "Hey, Brother Hagen, I bought some property in Colorado." And Brother Hagen said, "Oh, really? What kind of property is it?" He said, "Well, it's got a stream flowing on it. It's got uh, uh, a lot of game on there. It's got some hills, and you can do some." Uh, Cross country snow skiing on it. And it's near to where some of the other ski resorts are. It's real nice property. And, and, uh, he said, well, how much do you get? He said, well, I got so many acres. I don't remember how many it was now, but he said, I got so many acres. He said, well, is there any, any, um, uh, buildings on the property? He said, oh, yeah, it's a great big old house. It's got 5,500 square feet in the house. It's got one of these A-frame chalet type things with a great big picture window that overlooks the valley and stuff like that. And Brother Hagan said, well, when did you see it? And he said, I've never seen it. Brother Hagan said, well, what do you mean you've never seen it? He said, well, I heard about it, and I talked to the realtor about it, and I got a description of it, but I've never seen it. And Brother Hagan laughed, and he said, you mean you bought a piece of property that you've never seen? He said, yeah, got a real good deal on it too. And uh, and so anyway, he said he pulled out the, the, the deed out of his pocket. He said, I've got a deed right here. Show you it's mine. And I got to thinking about that some years later, and I thought, now, this was, of course, before the Internet. Nowadays, you could see everything online and, and, you know, draw up pictures and stuff like that. But this was much before that. And I thought, here's a guy that was willing to buy something unseen based on a description he got. And it was real to him. He saw it in his mind's eye, but based on the description. And the description he got from the real estate people and whoever it was that he was talking to about it. The description he got from it, uh, from the real estate people, gave him such a clear picture that he was willing to invest a lot, of, well, a lot of money, to me, it, was, it wouldn't be so much money nowadays, I guess, but it sure was a lot of money back then. And I thought to myself, why don't people do that in faith? Because that's exactly what the Bible says faith is. Faith is the title deed to the things that you hope for. It's the evidence of the things that you can't see. Now, when did it become real to this guy? Did it become real to him when he finally traveled up there and, and opened the door to the house and saw for himself what he had purchased? No, it was real to him when when it was described, and he made the decision, I want to buy it. In the same way, Jesus purchased for you healing and every other earthly blessing. It is real, and you have a title deed to it. The description, the legal description of what is yours, the legal description of your healing is the word of God that you have sitting in your lap. But for some people, that's not enough. Now, I've got to see it. I've got to put my hand on it if he had done that and he said it himself he said if I had waited till I got a chance to go up there and see it which would have been a couple of weeks from then he said I would have missed out on a real good deal I think a lot of times people miss out on healing which is a real good deal because they're trying to go by what they see again Bosworth said Mark eleven twenty four talks about believing that you have received something how can you believe that you have received it if you're not convinced that it's already real See, folks, there are two realities. There's a physical reality. The physical reality for you and me might be sickness in our bodies. But there's something that's even more real than that, a spiritual reality, which is healing. That's the good news that Paul preached in Acts chapter 14. That's exactly what Peter is describing in Acts chapter 9 to Aeneas. Jesus Christ healed you. And by the, with the hand of faith, they simply reached through and took hold of what was theirs. They reach through, they pierce this veil of flesh into into a realm which is more real than what you can see. A realm that's eternal. I said there are two realities and there are. There's a physical reality and there's a spiritual reality. They may not always coincide with one another. But if you accept what is the spiritual reality, you can change the physical reality to make it line up with the spiritual reality. One's eternal, one's temporal, subject to change. Turn back with me to Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15, I want you to see a a couple of verses in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 4, I want you to see this. It says, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is breach in spirit. I think a lot of times people rely on the King James and, and it's not always clear in, in, uh, in comparison to our everyday language. And, and so they miss out a lot of times on what's, what's being said. Notice where it says the wholesome tongue is a tree of life. This word wholesome means to cure or to heal. It's the Hebrew word "Rapha." It's the same word that, that God describes himself to Israel as I am the Lord that healeth thee. Well, if it's translated in Exodus 15, 26 it says, Healed, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Why is it translated here, wholesome? It means exactly the same thing. Literally, it means a healing tongue is a tree of life. A healing tongue, a tongue that speaks words of healing and health, is a tree of life. Now we look at the Old Testament, we look at the Garden of Eden when God created Adam and Eve and put them in the garden and and, and think about paradise and what everything was like before. Uh, Satan messed it up and got, you know, tricked man and, or tricked a woman. Uh, Adam wasn't deceived, but he did it anyway, which makes him more culpable in my thinking. But we look back in, in, at that experience and the story and we think, oh, wouldn't it have been great to live back then? Man, if, be, if we could have lived back then, we could have just eaten the, the tree of life and stayed that way forever. Well, God would be unjust if he gave Adam a tree of life and he didn't give you one. He would be playing favorites if he gave Adam a tree of life and didn't give you one of the same. And he did. And here's what the Bible tells us is a tree of life. It says words of healing is a tree of life. Do you realize that you have an opportunity to eat and to partake of the same tree of life that God put in the Garden of Eden for Adam? Different ways to do it. Adam had to just simply eat the fruit, uh, you know, the physical fruit with his mouth. You get a chance to speak Healing words and partake of the same tree of life. Now, notice the rest of the verse. It says a healing tongue is a tree of life. But perverseness therein is a breach in spirit. Perverseness therein. What does perverseness therein mean? Perverseness in what? Perverseness in your words. The word perverse just simply means corrupt. It means crooked. Literally it means crooked words is a breach in spirit. What does that mean? Well we know the word of God is truth. So anything contrary to what God says, any corrupt word, any word that's perverse, any word that's, uh, that's contrary or contradicts what God's word says. In this context, he's talking about any words that contradict or uh, are in conflict with healing. Healing is a real blessing that belongs to you. It's something Jesus purchased. He purchased it for you with the same blood that he purchased forgiveness of sins, literally redemption from spiritual death. We use, uh, we use the word or the terms casually. Jesus didn't purchase forgiveness of sins for you or anybody else. Jesus redeemed you with his blood. Big difference in redemption and forgiveness. Forgiveness means something was covered over. Redemption means it was wiped away and doesn't exist anymore. Jesus redeemed you with his blood. And the Bible says that that redemption included a redemption from not only spiritual death, but a redemption from poverty and a redemption from, he, uh, from uh, sickness. He provided prosperity and healing at the same time he provided redemption from spiritual death. In other words, at the same time he made you a new creature, the same price that he paid to make you a new creature, which was his blood, was shed and spilled for your physical well-being, for your healing, the healing of your body. So here we're talking about perverseness therein. It means perverseness of, tongue, of your tongue, perverseness in your words, crooked or corrupt words. Is a breach in spirit. Breach in spirit literally means this it means it's a break in the order, the spiritual order that God arranged. God designed man to speak his words to partake of his nature. That's how you got saved. You spoke in line with what the Word of God says to speak. You accepted as truth what the Bible says Jesus did and accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. And through your words, the confession of your mouth, Confession was made unto salvation. You were born again. You partook of his nature. That's God's spiritual order. That's the way he designed mankind. And the Bible says Jesus was slain from the foundations of the earth. This is not some plan God came up with because Adam and Eve fell. This was his plan before he ever created Adam and Eve. He knew Adam and Eve would fall. He was prepared for it. The devil probably thought when Adam and Eve fell, oh man, I've got him. He played right into God's hands. Because God's plan was to dwell within man. God's plan was not to have man as a servant like Adam was. God's plan was to live inside of mankind. The Bible says this was the mystery that was hid from the ages past. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus living in you and Jesus living in me was God's original plan before the worlds were ever created. Long before Adam and Eve ever were made and came on the scene. Long before the devil ever tempted either one of them. God's plan was for Christ to live in you which was the hope of glory. It was the hope of glory because until Jesus fulfilled it, it wasn't a reality. It was just a hope. Now it's the reality of the glory of God. So anything, as I said, man was created under God's spiritual order. Designed to speak God's word. Designed to gain knowledge from the word of God. Designed to gain knowledge from God himself. The source of that knowledge we know is the Bible. What we know of is the word of God. That knowledge is intended to be the source of every word that we speak. Not part of the words that we speak, but every word that we speak. Because what words can we gain or what knowledge can we gain from this physical realm that supersedes the truth of God's word? Bible says the tongue of a wise man studies to answer. In other words, you may not know the answer to every situation. You may not know how to respond to every situation, but you find out from the word of God how to do it. That's in contrast to the mouth of the foolishness which pours out silly silly things. Things contrary to the word. It's amazing to me how some people hadn't figured out that everything they think is not supposed to come out of their mouth. Bible says staying quiet will make people think you're wise. You don't even have to be wise. Just stay quiet and people will think that about you. It is true. So it says the tongue, the, uh, the healing tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in spirit. Speaking anything contrary to God's word. In this case, since it's being contrasted with healing words, speaking words of the curse of sickness, speaking words that relate to the curse of sickness. Well, it's flu season. I get the flu every year. That's a breach in spirit. That's a break in God's spiritual order. Why? Because God intended then and now for you to partake, dwell by partaking of the tree of life. Remember in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 30, God said, I set before you this day blessing and cursing, life and death. Choose life that you and your seed may live. He's giving you a hint. It's pop test, pop quiz, but he's giving you the answer. Choose life. Now, you don't have to. How do you choose life? You choose life by speaking in line with God's word. Because that's how you partake of a tree of life. That's how you partake of healing. Look back with me to Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. It says, there is that which speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. In other words, he's saying... Your tongue can either cut you, literally meaning cutting you away from the blessings of God, or the tongue of the wise is speaking words of healing and health. Speaking words of healing and health. Now, in relation to the stories or the, the, um, uh, the scriptures that we read in Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 14, we don't have any record that either one of these men said anything, but they did something. They did something. Faith is expressed by words and or actions. And in both cases, they acted on the truth of the word of God that they heard. What did they hear? They heard that something had already been done about their healing. Something had already been done about their healing. It's the same prayer of faith that pierces the veil of the flesh today. Jesus said, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you have received them and you shall have them. You got to believe it's already yours. Now, what's going to make us believe it's already ours? There's only one place where you get that knowledge, and that's from the Word of God. You have to choose to believe the Word of God is true no matter what you see or feel. Choose to believe the Word of God no matter how you see or feel. Smith Wigglesworth was uh, having a meeting, and, and there was a uh, a real dire situation. Uh, well, I say a dire situation. I don't mean it was a critical thing, but it was one of the hardest ones of the, the people that were in attendance. There was a guy that was... Uh, uh, that was crippled up, and he wasn't in a wheelchair, but he was walking on canes and crutches and stuff like that. Everybody had known him. He had been a Christian for a long time, and, and he'd been in uh, in that crippled up condition for a long time. He could walk. He could get around, but, but uh, you know, just barely. And um, uh, so he came into the service, and he came into one of the services late after the service was already going on. And uh, and in, uh, this was not an uncommon thing for Wigglesworth to deal with people um, in front of everybody else. But this guy came in, laid into the service, and somebody had saved him a seat up front. So he shuffled up and took forever. You know, it seemed like an hour for him to get from the back door to the up to the front pew or chair row of chairs. And so this guy shuffled up to the front row, and everybody is stopping and everybody's looking at Everybody knows this guy. He's been around forever. Everybody knows him. You know, he's uh, if. If uh, if there seemed like a hopeless case in town, this was it. And so Wigglesworth just stopped. He just watched the guy. He saw everybody else was paying attention to him. So he just stopped, stood there, waited for the guy to shuffle up there. Took forever for him to get to the front. And then he went back to uh, to his uh, sermon. And everybody's waiting to see what he's going to do. So he he goes back to preaching, preaches for another five to ten minutes. And he says, now, I notice that you're watching to see what I'm going to do with our dear brother over here. And everybody kind of nods and says, yeah, we going I'm going to wait and see. Everybody heard about him. His fame had had, uh, preceded him, the way God had used him and and the miracles and so forth that God used him in. And so he said, well, I am going to minister to our brother here. But he said, I'm going to do it in a different way than you're probably expecting me to do it. So he said this. He just looked at the fellow and he said, brother, he said, God sent his word and healed you. Turned around and went back to preaching. Well, Everybody's kind of dumbfounded and, and kind of shocked. And they, they didn't have any, uh, any miracles or any uh, healing, um, significant healings at that meeting that night. Brother uh, Wigglesworth talked about, uh, he was writing the, the testimony of it later on. He said, it, uh, it, I could tell it just put a damper on the whole meeting because everybody was waiting to see what I was going to do. He said, but uh, but I was impressed to, of the Lord to, to minister to him that way and just leave it at that. He said, the next night, almost the same thing happened. This guy shuffles in late, takes him forever to get there. Wigglesworth stops and waits for him to get in. He knows nobody's going to listen to him until he comes back in. And, of course, since he comes in late, everybody can see he doesn't look any better than he did last night. So Wigglesworth stopped and he said, brother, God sent his word and healed you. Went on to preaching. They had no miracles that night. Well, by now, people are getting restless. After a couple of nights of this, people are getting restless. Because they've heard that this guy's a miracle worker. They've heard of all the signs and wonders and everything that's, that takes place. And, of course, people that, uh, that don't have any experience with this stuff thinks this, that when God uses somebody like that, they can just turn it on and off like a light switch. Folks, nobody has the heating power of God at their disposal. Nobody has the miracle-working power of God at their disposal. God doesn't put that in the hands of, ha- in the hands of men. Because if he did put it in the hands of men, then it would be men that were operating it. And you're dependent, no matter how, how miraculous a ministry God gives you, you're always dependent on the work and the unction and the, imp- uh, the impression of the Holy Spirit to do anything. Otherwise, people are going to start looking at you as God instead of looking at him. So after a couple of nights, people are starting to wonder, is anything ever going to happen? What, are, what do we hear these stories about this guy for? What are we even coming out to these meetings for? I mean, the teaching was good, but if there are no signs and wonders, that's what everybody came for. Third night, the guy comes in, shuffles in late. I don't know why the guy couldn't get there on time. Shuffles in late. Wigglesworth said the third time, he said, brother, I've ministered to you two nights in a row now, haven't I? He said, well, yeah, if you want to call it that. All he did was quote scripture to him, Psalm 107, verse 20. God sent his word and healed us. So he said, I've ministered to you two nights in a row. And he said, and here you come in in the same condition. I said, well, yeah. Wilkinsville stood there and he stomped his foot on the floor just real loud. It was a wooden platform, you know, real high thing. He stomped his foot on the floor and everybody jumped. And he said, I said that God sent his word and healed you. Turned around, went to the other side of the platform and started preaching. Well, nobody's watching him. Everybody's watching the guy over here that's, that's with the, you know, crippled up. Everybody's looking at what's going to happen. Wigglesworth won't even turn his back or won't even turn to look at him. He keeps his back to him for the next 15 minutes. All of a sudden, this guy starts hollering. Woo! Starts hollering, jumps out of his chair, le- leaves the crutch on one, fall in one direction, leaves his, lets his cane fall the other direction, and starts running across the front of the platform. Well, everybody starts getting excited and here they've seen the great work, but nobody can explain what happened. Wigglesworth never touched him, never prayed for him, never said anything to him, except quoted three times, Psalm 107, verse 20. God sent his word and healed him. So after the guy was uh, calmed down a little bit, everybody, you know, got through with the initial wave of excitement, he asked the guy to come up. He said, come up here. So he said, what happened to you? And this guy gave a testimony. He said, well, he said, the first night I was here, he said, I was embarrassed when you said God sent his word and healed me. He said, the second night, you said it again and I wasn't embarrassed. Then I got mad. Because I thought, now here it is. I've heard about this guy doing miracles and God using me in miraculous works and healings and so forth. And all he does is uh, quote me a scripture. He said, but when you said it tonight and stomped your foot on the floor, he said, something struck me. And he said, I got to thinking, why does he keep telling me this? See, that's not the way he was intending for things to go. He said, why does he keep telling me this? And the more I sat there and thought about why does he keep telling me this, all of a sudden the Lord spoke to me and said, because it's true. He said, I've been sitting there for the last 10 minutes thinking about it's true. God sent his word and healed me. God sent his word and healed me. He said, next thing I knew, I just got excited and screamed, and then I started running around the room. Now, folks, let me ask you something. When was he healed? Was he healed when the crutches fell one way and the cane fell the other? Was he healed when he jumped out of his chair? Or was he healed when God sent Jesus to the earth? That's what God sent his word and healed you means. When was he healed? It was just as much a reality in the previous two nights when he shuffled in as it was the third night when he finally realized by the unction of the Lord that it was true. What made the difference? There was no power that hit him from heaven. There was no outward sign. Wigglesworth never laid hands on him, never said anything to him except quoted one verse of scripture to him three times. There was certainly no evidence that the man was listening to anything Wigglesworth had preached for the three nights. The first night he was embarrassed. The second night he was mad. And the third night, Brother Wigglesworth was just getting started. So it wasn't the preaching that did it. What did it? The reality of the spiritual truth. Of the healing that was real. Even though it was invisible to him, it was real. That's, that reality dawned on him. And something about that caused him without any consciousness, without any intent, without any knowledge of of it on his part whatsoever. Something in him, a spiritual force in him reached through the veil to take hold of something that was real on the other side. The spiritual reality of healing. And it caused him to jump and run around the room. Let me ask you a question. What is it you're looking for God to do for your healing? You waiting to walk out into the sunlight and all of a sudden a light beam from heaven strike you and raise you up? Might not work that way. What are you looking for? Psalm 107 verse 20 is true for you and me. God sent his word and healed you and delivered you from your destructions. All it takes is for that, the knowledge, that simple knowledge of the truth. Jesus has already paid the price. Jesus Christ healed you. The reality of that will cause any and every person that you know of, you and me included, to walk off in divine health. Because it is true. Therefore, I say unto you, Jesus said, what things soever you desire. Well, you'd expect people in healing school to desire a well body. What things soever you desire. When you pray, believe that you have received them. Believe that you have received a well body and you shall have a well body. Believe you have received your healing and you shall have your healing. That's what happened to this guy. A man that seemed to be in hopeless condition. A man that everybody knew of. Everybody in town had prayed for him one time or another. Was no better. No sign of improvement whatsoever. But when the truth of God's word dawned on him. When the reality that Jesus was sent to the earth has already been sent to the earth. For the purpose of healing you. When it dawned on him. He leaped and walked. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that your word is true. Thank you, Father, that we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Thank you that those blessings, the blessing of healing, are a reality right now. They may be unseen. They may be invisible. But they are no less real than if we saw them and felt them with our physical hand. We thank you, Father, that you sent Jesus to the earth. That Jesus paid the price. He shed his blood for our redemption. That redemption includes healing. Jesus took stripes upon his back. And those stripes caused the blood to flow from his back. And the flowing of that blood paid the price for sickness. To restore us to divine health. Father, I don't pray that your healing power would fall. I pray that you would open the eyes of our spirits. That you would open the eyes of our understanding to see that healing is already ours. That healing has been accomplished. That healing has been paid for. And that all we need to do is to realize that reality, that truth and take hold of it. And oh, Father, show us. Show us with proof and evidence just how easy it is to take hold. You didn't make it a hard thing to receive, Father. You made it easy. It's easy because it's true. It's true for each and every one of us. So I thank you, Father, for giving us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. For opening the eyes of our spiritual understanding to show us that healing is ours. It's not going to be ours someday. It is ours now. Until then, Father, we will commit to speak healing words. We will speak nothing in contrast or in contradiction to the reality that healing is ours now. Because we are wise through the Word of God. We will speak only health. Oh, thank you, Father, that those healing words are a tree of life. They restore us to divine health. Restore us to divine health. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Can I share a testimony with you? After church this morning, a fellow came up to me and he said, You know, Pastor Mike, he said, This stuff you've been teaching on the name of Jesus, he said, it's causing me to see some things and to operate in a different way than I ever have before. He said, "I've uh, for the last three years, my uh, blood, blood sugar count, whatever they call that, I don't know how to say it, but that's the way he explained it to me. He said, for the last three years, my blood sugar count has been on the borderline of diabetes. He said, I went back to the doctor here just the other day and the doctor had told me that uh, if my blood, count, uh, blood sugar count was the same as it had been for the last uh, three times that he's been to the doctor. He said he was going to put me on some kind of medication. He said, but about a couple of months ago, well, it wasn't even that long ago. He said, when you started uh, preaching about uh, the name of Jesus, something about this caused me to start saying that my blood sugar was normal. He said, where it used to be, and, and these are his numbers, I don't know anything about it. He said, where it used to be 13 for the last three doctor visits, it used to be 13, now it's 6. And he said, I went into the doctor the other day, and the doctor said uh, uh, he had the, the, uh, the test results on his computer. And he turned around and he said, uh, he said let me show you something. He said, you see these, these previous results, test results? And it showed 13, 13, 13. had a big grapple there. it's big spikes stuff like that. He said, here's the latest one. It's a six. He said, are you a praying man? He said, well, yeah, actually I am. He said, well, that's what I thought. He said, I, I, I had already uh, asked you some questions. If anything's changed with your health or your diet or anything like that, and you told me no. He said, I can show you. Uh, we've got evidence right here that your blood sugar count is back down to six in the normal range where it's supposed to be. He said, what have you been doing differently? And the guy said, well, I've just been saying what God's word says about my healing. He said, well, whatever you're doing, keep it up because it's working. Now, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. But perverseness therein is a breach in spirit. What did he do differently? What did he start doing differently? He got things back in right spiritual order. He got his words lined up with what God's word says. He got his words lined up with God's plan for his life, which was healing and health. Now, what was he doing before? Well, by default, he was doing nothing. That's a breach in spirit. The absence, the failure to speak in line with the blessings that Jesus has purchased for you. That's a perverseness in spirit. That's a crooked speech that breaks God's spiritual order. God's spiritual order is life and health. Everything we say should be in line with that. Amen? Amen. Folks, it'll work for you, it'll work for me. It's impossible for it not to work. Yeah, but pastor, Mike, I'm not sure if I believe it or not. Quit worrying about believing it and just say it. You start saying it and you'll believe it. It'll dawn on you. You may not feel like you believe it starting off, but it'll come to the place when you're more convinced of that than you are anything else. Just say it. Put the word in your mouth first. Don't worry about it whether or not it's in your heart. Put it in your mouth first and it'll become part of your heart. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. Healing words are a tree of life. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Come on back and be with us Wednesday night if you can. And have a great week.